Well, good morning. What a great uh, morning it's already been, just uh, especially if you're able to be here, obviously, between the services, as Maureen mentioned, just hearing these testimonies. They, they give evidence to what we are talking about here today, uh, which is community, as we are in this last part of this series called 50 Days, looking at this season and this time from the resurrection of Jesus to the beginning of the early church. And uh, community is one of those interesting things that we all long for, but we also all struggle with. And I think it's fair to say that that's probably true for all of us, that we, we long for community, but we all also struggle with it in different ways. And that's for lots of different reasons. For some, it's just your personality. And uh, you struggle when you get uh, together with other people because you're more of an introvert. I've said that I've started this introvert club that never meets, and uh, we never talk about it. Um, we never made t-shirts, but I'm kind of jealous somebody got ahead of me and they made t-shirts, so I might adopt these. I think that that might help. Um, but sometimes it's just your own personality that you struggle with community and you want something different. Uh, other times it's pain. It's you've gone and you've experienced things that are really painful and hard, and they're legitimate painful things. And so it's understandable. I think for so many of us, we've experienced pain in different uh, communities. There's no doubt about that. For others, it's expectations. It's what, what expectations do we bring to the community? And we, we bring our own needs and our own expectations. And so when those aren't met, we uh, are disappointed and it can be hurtful. And so we have a whole variety of, of different experiences. Um, in the years past, for me, uh, being on sports teams, that was a place of community. And many of, many of us have experienced that on different teams where you have this sense of camaraderie in one way or another. I know businesses try to develop community, and they do it through through teams and things like that. And so maybe you've experienced uh, some of that as well, too. Um, or or even in family, sometimes in family we we try to experience community and and intimacy in ways. And whether it's your kind of your nuclear family, whether it's an extended family, whatever the case may be, um, but we we long for this sense of community. I know in our family, Lisa and I, and with our four girls, you know, we, we get along really well, mostly, and it, it usually starts off really great, and then after we spent too much time together, it just, it just starts to kind of crumble, like some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, our last family vacation in, in November, we went to Nashville for a while, and it just started out so good. It was so fun, and by the end of it, I declared to the family, I said, this is our last family trip. We will not do one again. I am now only going with Lisa, and uh, that's it. And they say that I'm a little bit extreme and reactive on some of those things. But when you, you see it also, even in uh, things like, like fitness, I was thinking about that. Like some, some of you are involved in this movement called CrossFit, and, and uh, you know, the presence, yeah, I know, some of you are really excited. I went to CrossFit once. I didn't find any community. I couldn't breathe, so I couldn't talk to anybody because I was trying to catch my breath. Um, but it's this expression, and it's a desire for community. And so you do fitness together in community, and you build this kind of sense of community. Um, the whole uh, um, movement of social media platforms is an attempt and a desire and a longing for community. I mean, the, the irony of that is, is that oftentimes they actually do the opposite, and they actually make us even feel more isolated and, and less community. But my point is, is that we have a longing for community that I think is innately wired within us that we all struggle towards and long for in one way or another. And the same is true in the church. 
I mean, the church is a place of community. It's a faith community. And uh, for many of us, we've experienced all kinds of things in the church community. Sometimes it's been very painful and hard. Other times it's been very intimate and good. And we've got a whole range of experiences about that. Maybe you've been on short-term missions trips and you've experienced intense community in those settings. Or you've been in a small group for a season that was just so connected and so tight and you experienced community. Or, or even as you gather together in a place like this for a corporate worship gathering, you, you get a sense and a bit of a feel of community at times. But the reality is, is that it often leaves us longing for more. And so we're going to look at some of the pictures of community that we see in Acts chapter 2. And I want to read from Acts chapter 2, uh, the last verses. So just uh, if you want to turn there in this text. Um, and the last verses, verse 42 to the end. So I want to start there, and then we're going to kind of back up and, and take a, a bit of a bigger overview of, of some of this chapter. But it describes this incredible community that these new believers filled with the Holy Spirit were experiencing says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So it's an incredible picture of community of this early church. And last week when, when Spencer was preaching and he did a great job of teaching on the Trinity and this truth and this idea that, that right within the, the, the Godhead itself, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is this image and reality of the character of God in community. That they are three in one. And so it's inherent right within who God is in God's nature. And so we understand it even in our theology. And we are hardwired that way because of who God is. Uh, Stanley Grantz is an author and theologian. And he wrote a, a great book called Created for Community. And he, and he talks about this idea of the Trinity and how it's so foundational. Uh, and how community in the biblical sense is a reconciled people who enjoy fellowship with Him, with one another, and ultimately with all creation. That we, are, we were created for community as expressed in the Trinity. And so unmistakably, we can see and we know that true community is found in God. True community is set in motion by Jesus as He calls the bride of Christ, the church, into being. That the bride of Christ is called out as this faith community reflecting the image of the triune God and to be a kind of true community for the world. And so this is Jesus' bride, the church, that we see depicted in Acts chapter 2 that we live and experience today. And so why do, why do so many experiences fall short? Why is it that oftentimes we, we end up kind of feeling like it didn't quite meet what we had hoped for? And one of the things that strikes me is that community has a way of surfacing so many of our insecurities, doesn't it? Like it surfaces our identity crises and things, questions that we have about who am I and, and questions about belonging, like will I be accepted? Will I be able to fit in? Will I be loved and embraced? Uh, will I be able to bring you know, just naturally who I am into this context in the gifts and personalities that I have? But one of the great ironies of this is that the very place 
uh, that surfaces these things in community is also the very place that the answers to these questions is found. Is in community with other people. And hopefully we'll, we'll see that today. And so I want us to look at the bigger context of Acts chapter 2, as I said. And I want to go back to the beginning of, of Acts 2 and just read a few verses there. As uh, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, it says, Acts 2, verse 1 to 4, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so we have this picture of community and the Spirit of God coming upon this community in power. And something interesting happens is that they are actually able to speak in other tongues and people understood in their own language. It says as you go on to read verse 6, each one heard their own language being spoken. So what's interesting about this account is that it's this diverse group of people that all come together, filled by the Holy Spirit, there's languages being spoken, and everybody understands their own language. And they're bewildered, they're amazed, they're like, what is going on? And if you uh, grew up understanding the Bible and you know some of the Old Testament, you might remember back to Genesis chapter 11, and in the Old Testament we have a story that is similar but different. And it's this story that, that where, where God is taking the people of God and, and they are, they have a common language at that time. And it describes how they tried to build for themselves, uh, uh, this tower. And, and here's what it says in, in Genesis chapter 11. It says, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. And then God responds and God says, and here's again an example of the Trinity, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. And this tower is called Babel, which means confused. And so it was a people who were now confused that God intentionally gave them many languages, dispersed them throughout the earth, And nations and ethnic groups and languages and people groups were formed. And there was a diversity of God's people that was quite remarkable. Many have reflected on the fact that Acts chapter 2, in many ways, is a great reversal of this. That in Acts chapter 2, we we see the grace of God coming in all of its fullness in an incredible way through the power of His Holy Spirit. And how people from all over now hear and understand their language. And it's a very different picture. But, but it's more even than a great reversal of the Tower of Babel. It's, it's now a new humanity in Christ. Now that the barriers have been taken down and the negative effects have been nullified, instead of confusion, there is clarity not around just their language, but there is, con- there is clarity around who Jesus is and what the Gospel is all about. And now instead of making a name for themselves, it's about making Jesus known to the world. And as you keep reading in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 and following, you see Peter. It says how Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice. He addressed the crowd. And he says, listen people, this is what you're experiencing. This is what's going on. You need to understand this. The power of God is at work here in a very remarkable way. And Peter starts to articulate and tell the story of God. And what, what's so significant about this is that 
here in this Acts chapter 2, we see that Peter is teaching them that in order to understand your experience, what you're going on here personally and corporately in your experience, it has to be put in the context of God's greater story. And so he starts by telling them God's great story. And he starts to sweep through this story of God. And then he comes to who Jesus is. And he tells them who Jesus is. And he articulates some really specific things about what this generation then did to Jesus. And he says in verse 36, um, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And many with other words, and with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and were about 3,000 that were added to their number on that day. And so Peter's teaching them that God has a design, God has a will, God has a purpose, God is holy. And he says, you need to repent and be baptized as we heard testimony of here today. You know, our stated mission as a church is to be a covenant community that loves God, disciples one another, and reaches out from the river to the ends of the earth. And that first part where it says to be a covenant community is more than just being in a group of people that we all get along or that we all think alike or uh, we have similar personalities. No, it's different than that. It's, it's meaning that we are centered on the foundation of who Jesus is and what he has done. That we are a covenant community around the new covenant of Jesus Christ. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us, and it's that covenant that makes us community. Because oftentimes, whenever we make anything else the foundation of our community, it will always crumble and fail. Even really good things. Like my family, who I love. But when I put expectations on them that this is going to be the foundation of a really good community, it eventually crumbles and fails. And so you go, okay, what Peter's teaching them and what the Scripture teaches us is that covenant community is what we build our lives on. It's what we build our hope on. It's what we build our faith on. And it's the covenant of Jesus Christ, His body broken for us, and the sacrifice that He made with His blood shed for us that we might have life and have our sins forgiven and experience true community. So this is what Peter is teaching. This is the common unity of the church. But the church broader, the Forest Grove Community Church, is that we are these covenant people. So as we look at Acts chapter 2 again and the 42 and, and following at the end, we see four things that come out right in verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we see in that some really powerful things that are essential for community. That these are people who believed in the Word of God. They didn't have Scripture like we do today, but they understood, they, they, they gathered around the apostles' teaching and what was truth. And they said, this is what we want to build our lives on and our foundation of how it points us to Jesus. And so they, they understand the Scripture and they dedicated themselves to the reading of Scripture. They dedicated themselves to fellowship of continuing to meet together in all kinds of different forms as we do today. And so that they would not just be Christians or believers in isolation, but that they would actually be intentionally in community and resolutely meet together over and over again. That they would break bread together, both 
the Lord's table where they would break bread, remembering Christ's body and blood, but also the common table of just coming together in hospitality and of eating meals together and of sharing food together and of just being that kind of community together. And then that they would be people of prayer, that they would be intentional of being uh, engaged in prayer. And so we see in there a pattern that is an encouragement and a challenge uh, for us at the same time. And then as you continue to read, you see that they were in awe of the signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit. That God was doing miracles through these apostles and that they were giving glory to God for that. And, and also that they were caring for the needs of each other by, by sharing their possessions, sharing what they owned, and actually making sure that, that everyone was taken care of and, and provided for. It says how they were praising God, that they enjoyed the favor of all people, and God just kept adding to their numbers. And it's this remarkable account that we often want to bottle and contain and make it this prescriptive thing for all time. And I I think it is prescriptive for us, but I I think it can have many different expressions of what it looks like. And and I guess what I want to encourage us in is that we see this happening in the church today. And it's happening all over the place. Sometimes you have to look harder for it, but it's there. To be a people of prayer, people of the Word, people who meet, people who praise, people who care for each other. It's what we do, not perfectly, but it's what we do. And over the years, one of the things that I have often seen, even as, maybe especially as a pastor, is that it's really easy to look at the flaws of the church. I mean, the, the church is an easy target for all its shortcomings and all the things that it does wrong and all the hypocrisy, and, and it's true. But I choose to look at the beauty of the church because you know what? It's a choice. It's actually a daily choice. To say, I'm going to choose to look at the beauty of the church because this is the bride of Christ. This is the option that God has given us for the mission of God in the world. And so we are to embrace and to love this beautiful family with all of its mess and all of its brokenness and to be part of something real. Which means it's not always easy or simple. And so I want to encourage us that God is still doing these things today. God is still adding to our number. We heard testimonies of the Spirit of God transforming people's lives between these two services, and we would baptize people declaring, I want to follow Jesus, and I believe, and I want to be part of this local church body and community. And so this reality that we see that happening today with all these testimonies that heard more to come. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about and experiencing and focusing on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in this 50-day series. And we've been seeing more and more of the evidence of that. We've, we've heard of and we've, we've prayed with and embraced people, adult people who have given their lives to Jesus in these last number of weeks. Some of which we heard testimony while well, we heard, we baptize and we'll hear their testimonies going forward. Others of which we've baptized in the, in the weeks and months ahead. But it's an encouragement that God is still at work. God is still moving. God is still adding to our numbers day after day, as the church. You know, as these apostles gathered together to pray, we, we too are a praying church. God is growing us in this area of prayer, challenging us in this area of prayer. As we meet together as council, uh, we gather together, we pray, and at each council meeting, we uh, focus and we begin in the Word of God, and somebody leads in that, and then there's a prayer time, and we usually gather in small groups, and oftentimes at council, there's a pause and we actually lay hands on people and we pray over people and it's, it's wonderful. And even this last week on Tuesday, we had a council meeting and as Jim Davidson led us and we shared some story giving praise to God of what he was doing and then we gathered in small groups and we prayed. And in that group I was with, I was with Jim and Mark True 
And Mark shared, and you could hear it in his voice, how sick he was. And he was just saying how sick he was experiencing. And, and he'd been sick for a number of days. And so in our prayer time, I just prayed for him. And I just asked God that he would heal Mark of his sickness. And right as soon as we were done praying, Mark said to Jim and I, he says, you know, like, um, as soon as you started praying, I could feel this warmth over my head and like something was different. And I didn't have my headache anymore. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And you sort of go, that's cool. Like, that's really cool. And then later that evening, Mark sent me an email and he actually felt like he needed to follow up with that and he wanted to be more specific. And he said, no, Bruce, what you need to understand is that for the last two days, I've had this really, really bad headache that no medication has been able to touch. And it's been really bad headache. And the moment you started praying, that headache was gone. Like it was just gone. And I asked him if I could share the story here because I said, this is about giving praise to God, not praise to man. And it's like, oh, thank you, Lord. Now, I've prayed for other people, even in the last weeks, for healing, and I have not seen that healing happen. Um, I can't explain that. But I'm going to give testimony to God and glory to God when he answers prayer that specifically and that clearly. And I go, thank you, Lord. The Spirit of God is still at work. God is still healing. God is still calling people to himself. God is still transforming lives. And the church is growing. Even in the midst of broken community and, and so on. And so we praise God for his Spirit at work, as we strain to be the true community that God calls us to. And we see even in this Acts 2 community that it's not free of pain. If you continue to read the story of Acts, you see that Paul and Barnabas are two that were called out, that were set aside as these disciples of Jesus to church plant across the region. And they were these two comrades who went together and were kind of uh, church planting across the region And even as you continue to read the story of Acts, even though they started out really well, you read in Acts chapter 15 something interesting about them having a disagreement, and they actually had this argument. And they had this conflict, so much so it says that they had a sharp disagreement, that they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. So Paul and Barnabas just kind of couldn't work together anymore, went their own separate ways. But here's what's interesting, is the church continues to grow. Because God still uses people and brokenness and hurt and so on for His kingdom purposes. And the story of Acts is this remarkable story of broken, human, sinful people being used by God for His glory and His kingdom purposes. And even though in Acts chapter 2 we might see this great reversal of Genesis 11 and this community of people that are gathered together in this wonderful uh, you know, cocoon of prayer and, and fellowship and it looks so good and wonderful... But you know what's interesting is they were told by Jesus to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. And then here in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and they they stay in Jerusalem for a while and they actually don't leave Jerusalem until chapter 8 as you read the book of Acts. And different things happen to them in the meantime and you can read about that. But it's interesting and I want you to look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and Acts chapter 8 verse 1. So let's first of all go to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And this is where it's a summary statement of really the whole book of Acts. And it says this, Jesus is speaking, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this progression out. They stay in Jerusalem the whole time until Acts 8 verse 1. Well, what happens in Acts 8 verse 1? You might know the story of the Apostle Paul who is the one who wrote so many of the letters to the churches and church planted across the regions that we have the New Testament. A remarkable disciple of Jesus who had his own Damascus Road experience where he encountered Jesus and was transformed. But here we see Saul 
his previous identity and this person who now persecuted the church. And he is overseeing the death of Stephen. And Stephen was this spirit-filled man who was so full of faith. And, and yet, because he is moving in this new movement, Saul is overseeing his persecution and death. And then it says in this summary statement, and Saul approved of their killing of him, Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. It's interesting. Acts 1.8 only gained traction at Acts 8.1. You know, they stayed in that place. They were being this community together and then God scattered them. You know, sometimes... I think we miss God's bigger story. And we miss this incredible story of God of what He's doing, and we miss it because we're in pain. And it's our own personal experience, and we're just so focused inwardly on our own situation that we actually don't see what God's doing and His purposes in the bigger kingdom of God. And whether it's persecution or conflict or disappointment, whatever it is, but God is always working a bigger angle and has a bigger story that He's writing. And painful 8-1 moments often become the catalyst for 1-8 mission that God gives us. And we see that in the book of Acts. And so this seemingly tight, unified, gentle community becomes messy really fast. And their days of being hunkered down in Jerusalem are gone. Now they're aliens and foreigners in a hostile land and they're on a mission for God. Now called to be a pioneering community, not a settling community. And we, we so often, we, we settle down so fast and so quickly. And so why is it that we assume that an effective, true community will not have conflict or pain? It's almost like we think that as soon as there's conflict or pain or persecution or disagreement, our community is somehow broken. No, now it's real. And now it's raw. And God will still use it. In fact, that's oftentimes when God uses it the most. And you can't look at Scripture or any of the examples of the stories of community without seeing pain and brokenness it always seems to be there. But this is part of being true community. That God uses us. You know, in our discipleship steps, as we've tried to articulate them to give handles for people of how to be a disciple and how to make disciples, one of the really important ones is that we would create community. And it's an important one for all the reasons that we're talking about here today that we would never give up, stop, never stop or give up gathering together uh, eating together, submitting to biblical authority together, um, following Jesus together, sharing our pain together, trying to spur one another on to not become too comfortable and to remember our mission. No, actually, to remember God's mission that He's called us to. And so as I was thinking this week of just how to conclude this message, I, I wanted to just summarize five things that make community so important. And we could probably list many more, but let me give you a few. Why is community so important? Well, first of all, it reflects the image of God. Community is so important because as we've talked about, it reflects the Trinity. It, it reflects our story and, and how our story is only found in God's story. And it's when we get those two reversed and mixed up that we put our story first that we get confused and it challenges us. But when we understand that God's story is this dominant story, this incredible narrative across all of eternity then our story starts to make sense in God's bigger story. And so the Trinity reminds us of the community of God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that is so foundational to our faith and our theology and our life. Secondly, community matters because of valuable contribution 
that we all have an innate desire to contribute something to a greater good. God's wired us that way. And, and so community gives us a place for a greater valuable contribution. And unlike our modern view of, of membership, where we think of membership is what is it that you get out of community or what is it that you get from this membership, the church and membership in the church of God is totally opposite. It's no, no, no. You actually get to contribute. You get to contribute things of your resources, of your expertise, of your personality, of your gifts. And all of these things are part of what we are able to do, this valuable contribution that makes a difference for the kingdom of God. Thirdly, community is important because of tangible support when we're in times of need. And you know what? We all have need. And we don't like to always admit that or acknowledge that, but we have need. And so community gives a context. We don't do that perfectly, but we do that intentionally. We say, okay, how do we actually support and encourage and bless each other in times of financial need, emotional need, spiritual need, physical need, whatever the case may be? And fourthly, a community is important for identity formation. Because, you know, we don't, we don't find ourselves in isolation. We don't find ourselves by being alone. We find ourselves in community. And as we understand more and more of God's story, our own true identity of who we are in Christ becomes very raw and real. And let me give you one example of this. And this is uh, from a, a book written by Ed Shaw. And he's a, a pastor. He's a single celibate pastor who who um, experiences same-sex attraction. And he wrote a book about his own story and his own belief, and it's just simply called this, Same-Sex Attraction in the Church, The Surprising Plausibility of the Celibate Life for Singles of Any Kind. And he believes, and he articulates in there, as I do and as we as a church embrace, that Scripture teaches that sex is for marriage, and marriage is the lifelong union of a man and a woman. But he says there's a a plausibility problem he says, it seems unreasonable what you're asking people to do. But one of the points that he makes, and one of the key points, is that true community in the church makes this plausible again for all celibate singles, for all singles, regardless of the attraction. That true family community goes beyond marriage and kids. It's the body of Christ. And our church is to be our family. And we have so often made marriage and 2.4 kids the idol. And he's challenging that we need to find our way into helping people in celibate singleness again. And his pointed challenge to the church is this. Do you want to help make biblical teaching on homosexuality seem reasonable? Do you want to help tackle the plausibility problem? Then start acting out the Christian reality that family equals church. Whatever life circumstances God has put you in. So that's just one example. Not only our identity formation, but our spiritual formation is formed and found in community. We don't do it alone. We are formed into the image of Christ together. It's a community project. And lastly, what I want to leave with us is a primary purpose of why community matters is it's the context for God's mission. Because you see, God's mission has a church and there is no plan B. And the book of Acts is this broken, human, wonderful, spirit-filled, faith-filled, messy community of people that are convinced of the resurrected Jesus, that are fueled by His Spirit, proclaiming the hope and the promise of the gospel. They are an outward-focused, pioneering community of faith. And that's the church. And that's our call. 
And that's true community. So Lord Jesus, I just thank You so much for Your love for us that You call us to a sacrificial life. And God, we just confess that we have so often made life about us and about our experience and our story. And God, I pray that You'd forgive us for that and that You would help us to know and understand Your story. And that we would see that Your story is primary, that You are first and we are second. And Lord Jesus, just as You humbled Yourself and You went to the cross and You died for us, Your body broken for us and Your blood shed for us, that, that You call us in a similar way to pick up our cross and to follow You. And God, we know that sometimes the cross that You call us to bear is really hard. And You call us to deep sacrifice. And God, I pray that You would help us to be the kind of community that can come alongside people in the midst of carrying those hard crosses. And Lord, that we would love each other, that we would encourage one another, that we would study Your Word together, that we would call each other to holiness and to this life that You have called us to live. And that You would help us to find our way filled by Your Holy Spirit's power. And that You would continue to transform us more and more into Your image. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.